Ready? Welcome to Rhythm and Pixels. I used to say hello. I just said welcome this time. Hello. <laughs> welcome to... It's been a weird day. Hello and welcome to Rhythm and Pixels, a video game music podcast. This is the start of World 26. This is episode 26-1 of Flying the, High. Show. Flying High. Flying we, High. Man, World 30 is going to be... It's going to be all underwater stages, let me tell you. Um because I all, see it, we might need it for the physical therapy. All of yeah, right. All of this, all of this past world has just been um, like like the underground demon fire stage of 2020. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're your hosts. My name is Rob Nichols, and I'm Pernell. And we listen to video game music. We find the best, and we listen to the best video game music every week from all consoles and all generations. We pick a topic. Um, either from one of us will find something to to to. to to look into or to, to find stuff to listen to or even suggest it to us through our email from our listeners but we we find a topic we pick some tracks we listen to it we joke about we have a good time and that, that's what's up for now and sometimes we yeah. even drink dr pepper while are, we do so are you drinking dr pepper right i haven't had a doc where's mine <laughs> uh, well I, I don't know i can bring you one later if you like but yeah let's drop one on my doorstep <laughs> It, it better get it quick before the ice hits and it bursts on the stoop. But, oh, it's uh, so cold right now. I can't. I can't stand it. It's too cold. But this is one of those things. I had. I had a six pack of Dr Pepper and cream soda that's been sitting here for like a month now. Yeah. And it's like, I, I would have it for like days. Like I just, I really need this Dr Pepper. I just need it. Today was one of those days, so I'm cracking this bad boy open. Nice. Dr Pepper and cream soda. It's Ooh, delicious. Cream soda. Two hundred and ten so calories, which sucks, but. Yeah. Eh. I haven't had a cream soda in so long. They're so good. They really are. So much sugar. <laughs> Don't remind me. I'm consuming it all right oh, now. This, this holiday, even though like we haven't done like anything. Um, and I will say, we did have you over for a little, little dinner. But like <laughs> we were like, we're eating leftovers. And you brought over Chinese food. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, well, that's the thing. Because like, so, we didn't even see our she, family. So I was like, we got to have like our local family. Yeah, and, I, and the thing about it is, like, when you like when I think of uh, Christmas, like I don't typically do this, but when I'm in, if it, in a few towns where I've done been in Chicago for it, or just I know that they do it in Chicago, it's like a big tradition for a lot of people where they get Chinese food in Chinatown for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Yeah, and it's like Chinese <laughs> Christmas. That's awesome. So it's like you know, like honestly, I was like, you know what? I don't, my family's not doing anything. Like my mom made some small stuff, but I didn't want to go over there for this thing. I might go see her tomorrow for a bit with my mask or whatever. But um, she made like a ham. But for, other than that, I was like I don't have any like real dinner this year, like normal year. So I was like, I'm just gonna partake in the Chinese New Year or Chinese Christmas bit so I called you know my favorite Chinese and I was like yeah we're open until 10 o'clock I'm like oh well no no no, no, no. not just your dinner. favorite like the best the best on the east coast man well, so don't, don't oversell it now because okay. you know, people contesting it like you know, our best is the real best that's like, the you know, best what? the best of the super deep fried Americanized Chinese food there it is, is. That, that, that's, that's, that's the disclosure you needed yeah <laughs> the best of the high fry american chinese yeah this is not i mean like this this is not a fancy this is not authentic this ain't authentic oh but it's the it's so good mm-hmm. and, and um yeah after you finish that with a with a couple it's beers the, you will go to sleep forever <laughs> it is the only american chinese restaurant i've ever been to that doesn't deliver and they don't have to 
Yeah, they, that's right. They don't deliver. I remember um, at the beginning of lockdown, I was like, you know, we got to find places that deliver or that are still doing good takeout. And I thought of the place, Happy Fortune, right there on Marsh Road in Wilmington, Delaware. Just giving them a little plug. If anyone's driving <laughs> through Delaware, you got to get Happy Fortune. Um, and they, they weren't delivering. I was so disappointed. I remember um, our friend Nate well, from way back in the day um, when he lived in New Jersey. I think he's in Maryland now. I don't know. When he lived no, like I'm... when he lived like way upstate in New Jersey, he would drive down to visit us, and like that was what we did. We got Happy Fortune. Really? Yeah. He wanted to go to the comic book shop, and he wanted to get Happy Fortune. So he knows the deal. He knows the score. Our comic book shop, which is just called the Comic Book Shop. <laughs> and it's a good comic book shop, though. They got some quality memorabilia in there. Yeah, and it was bought by um, a young couple who we went to, I think, high school with, or they were like a year behind us. And they've really like you know cleaned it up and, and uh, made it really current and, and inclusive. And so it's really they made, awesome. They took, they took it from a comic book dive to a comic book shop. Yeah, kind of a weird comic book dive where they sold like, like they, they overpriced, sold overpriced toys and, and pornography. And now it's and like Russian, they, they Russian roulette in the basement. Yes, Diddy Mao! <laughs> weird, yeah, weird, weird uh, Moe's Tavern backroom antics. And now it's like a super <laughs> like awesome, like clean shop with with like editors picks or um, 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 shop owner picks. And it's um, it's mostly women who work in the store. And so like everyone feels really comfortable coming in. A lot of families go in there. It's really cool. I, I'm really proud that we have that in our town and that they've been doing well during the pandemic. They, they do a lot of deliveries. They do a lot of um, outdoor pickups of, of uh, books and stuff. I am very glad to hear that because I've always felt kind of back. Like I like the idea of comic book culture, mm-hmm. but I never got into collecting comics because yeah, <laughs> they stack up so fast. Oh, I do. mean, if you've seen my house between the board games and the video games, do I really need comic books? Yeah, take up that extra space. I know I have like a shelf of like the books I want to keep, you know, and then I have a shelf downstairs of some of the books that I liked, but maybe I liked when I was younger, like in my twenties, that I, I'm not mm-hmm. into now. And I'll say it right now, Preacher is up there. I have the entire collection of Preacher. I'm not into it now. I'm, I feel like I'm past some of the the violence and some of like that, I don't know, just that weird macho you know, stuff going on. Even though it's, I, I call it macho. I think it's a little, um, a little over masculine. I can't speak for a preacher, but in cars, in terms of like the general concept, it just for me, it just depends on the product, like yeah. how it's framed, and also my state of mind and mood. Like there was a movie that's coming out soon that stars uh, the guy who played Bob Odenkirk, um, and the premise there is that he's a guy who's like a mild mannered dad in a family, and he's kind of like really mild mannered, and something happens where like he gets home invaded one night. Mm-hmm. And the guy comes in his house with a gun and everything, mm-hmm. and uh, he kind of doesn't fight back against the intruders. Like he's like, just take what you need and leave. And his wife gets like really mad at him. Like you could have done something, like lay about of a man, like basically like, treat him like crap for it. Yeah. And it turns out like the reason why he was trying, he didn't do anything, is because he has he's trying to keep all that stuff down key because he his previous one of his older jobs was like a hitman or a cleaner oh, okay yeah, so yeah, yeah. like unfortunately though like now the bug's starting to tip out and he's like starting to go back into where he's like <laughs> aggressive and he's angry so like he finds a guy that broke into his house mm-hmm. and then like it turns out there's like this bigger plot going on where someone from his old life is trying to get back at him and now oh. he's all of a sudden like telling his kids to hide in the basement because he I got know, shot and he's like up. beating the guys up in his house that sounds similar to a movie that came out ages ago called the history of violence with vigo mortensen have you seen that Mm-mm, but he, sounds like I might if it's similar to this. Yeah, I think he lives in Philadelphia or something. He has a family, and he's got like a normal job. But then, like his past life as like a hitman or working in the mob, like comes back, 
and it's and it, yeah, it is like pretty crazy violent but um but like it slowly it's really like the the unfolding the, the the telling of his past to his family of who he who he was or and and so it's not who he is now he was incredible in that movie i swear the last like two minutes of that movie were gut-wrenching it was so good he was so good it's- now, see, like, the two movies we're just describing, one that's not out yet and one that you've already seen, they are what some would consider to be machismo violence, too. But it's all on the framing. It's huh. all on how they play it out. And yeah. it's also how the act- also, also how the actors portray it and what mood you're in when you're watching yeah. it. Well, another one that's really good about, um, not really good about specifically analyzing, like, toxic masculinity, but certainly a part of it, is a new one on Amazon called Uncle Frank. It takes place in the 70s um, about um, a girl's gay uncle who comes out, who eventually comes out to their family in the South. I'm, so, I'm glad is, to hear um, you said because like oh, it threw me so off good. because there's a song by a band that I like called Uncle Frank 2, and it's a queer core band. And it's a similar idea. Like, Uncle Frank was the person who helped her feel comfortable about being gay. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I got to figure out who the name maybe, of the maybe, song maybe, was. maybe that's a thing. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's like a, maybe that's like a saying. You know, everyone's got that Uncle Frank, you know. And I'm like, but the movie, it's it, like, you love Uncle Frank. And he's just incredible. And he's still flawed. But, like, his boyfriend is awesome. And his and, and the way it ends, like I was in tears. I was crying so hard at the end of this movie, Pernell. It was so good. Tears. Yes. No. It was. It was good tears. It, it had a good ending. So you go into a movie like this that takes place in the past, and you're like, so, something horrible is going to happen. But it ends really well. So if you're if you're wondering if you're going to watch this movie tonight and, and enjoy it at the after the fact, yeah, go watch it. It's got a great ending, and it's and it's very moving. Um, okay, before we get anything started, we've been talking about movies for 10 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Welcome to the Rhythm and Pickles, the movie podcast. The movie show. Um, we got a few things we want to shout out. First, um, we are hosted and sponsored by Blueberry Podcast Hosting. That's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. Uh, Blueberry. That's like blueberry without the E's. Um, and if you go to rhythmandpixels.com slash podcast and click the link there, use offer code pixels, you get your first month of hosting free. So if you're just starting out or if you want to take your podcast to the next level, you get like professional statistics, lightning fast downloads, like super fast, like stupid fast downloads and uploads, um, around the clock support. Um, they'll do migrations from other hosts to this one. They'll fix your feed. They'll do everything. And, and they'll, they'll even manage getting your feeds to like Amazon and, and Spotify, all that stuff that is hard to figure out when you're just getting started. Blueberry takes care of all of that. B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. Go to rhythmandpixels.com slash podcast. Get your first month free. Um, and then also um, we have our shirts available that are still, um, I think they're 15% off if you use offer code pixels, P-I-X-E-L-S. If you go to rhythmandpixels.com slash merch, get yourself the classic tee. Get your with our logo on it. Um, I think our, our pixel pictures are on there too, right? On the front. I hope so. I haven't used I that picture to... in a while. I'm like on our not the stuff. run, not for the run VGM shirt, but yeah. for like the normal logo where the logos in the back or pixel peaks are yeah. in the front. There's um a, there's the classic um hip hop uh, run run DMC shirt, but it says run VGM, which I'm, I'm that's like my favorite t shirt, and I wear it so much. My wife was like tired of seeing it. Uh, and then um, in jokes, we have a, a T-shirt for lobster racing, which is a lobster in a race car, and it looks like an old school Atari cartridge uh, that I designed. And it's oh, this is a good song. 
Or it's a good game. It's a good. It's, it's an excellent game. It's just people gambling on lobsters racing. Um, <laughs> all right, one more thing. There's a there's a show on Netflix called We Are the Champions. Um, I know I don't know if you have Netflix or not, but for our listeners too, it's incredible. It's narrated by Rain Wilson, and it is all about um, people competitors and professional competitions that is not mainstream sports. So one of them is a chili pepper eating contest. One of them is choreographed dancing with your dogs, but one of them is frog racing. It's hmm. awesome. It's like it's like how it's not really racing, but it's like how fast can they, how far can they jump? And they train these frogs. And what they do is after after they train these frogs and they and they compete with them, they turn them back into the wild where they caught them because then they continue their lineage. And then the next year they get the same line of frogs. So it's like a family of professional sports frogs <laughs> that they keep getting <laughs> from the same creek. It's incredible. So yeah, well, that, that's is. a great show. Um, all right. And our topic this week. Um, do you remember who raised... Like, Reinhardt Zelkova. Reinhardt? Yeah. Patron and friend Reinhardt Zelkova suggested this oh, topic Oh, Reinhardt Zelkova. I thought you said Reinhardt because we were talking about pro wrestling earlier. <laughs> <coughs> Reinhardt! Yeah, so Reinhardt Zelkova, one of our Patreon members, um, was like, hey, you have never played any music from Xenogears. And we went back and looked, and we were like, whoa, we've missed Xenogears entirely on this show for five years. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense because this guy's such a great OST. Yeah, and um, the composer, Yasunori Mitsuda, is among my favorites. So today we are doing a deep dive, a full um, focus, composer focus on Yasunori Mitsuda. That's right, right, the Mitsudist. So yeah, Yasunori Mitsuda, um, so he is classically trained, um, of course, like like you and I for now, but he was really interested in computers when he was younger, but then got interested in music um, as he grew up. So he was classically trained in college, and then in 1992, I guess he was friends with him, or he, or he was somehow acquainted with him. But Nobuo Uematsu, 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 <laughs> Nobuo Uematsu, showed him an advert advertisement for the music department um, at SquareSoft. He said, "Hey, there's an opening at SquareSoft," um, and so he joined the sound team in 1992, um, and okay. he and he just worked as a sound engineer, doing sound effects and mixing and and and, and just doing kind of behind the scenes stuff. But he always wanted to do a soundtrack. Um, and so he gave the company an ultimatum. He said, "You let me compose a game, or I'm going to quit." And, and so they lay. So they said, "Okay, here's the project we're working on: Chrono Trigger." And so he worked on Chrono Trigger with um, I forget the other composer's name, but he did it under the watch of Uematsu, who was working on Final Fantasy VI at the same time, because both of these games were being uh, produced concurrently. Uh, Mitsuda, yeah, they both came out around the same time. Yeah, so Mitsuda developed uh, stomach ulcers and horrible. Um, just he worked himself to death because he had he wanted he needed to prove him to himself and he needed to prove to Square that he could um, he could produce this game. And he produced like almost like seventy or fifty tracks for for Chrono Trigger, and so by the end of of, of working on that game, he was hospitalized um, for just just overwork and and ulcers. It goes to show though, like killed himself. It sucks that he had to go through that, yeah. but the fact that Chrono Trigger to this day is still one of the most beloved OSTs ever composed yes. goes to show that his work didn't go for naught because he he bled for that track for that OST oh, and we appreciate it. It's it. so good. It's 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 still for me like one of the, my favorite soundtracks. Like the themes and the ending theme and the battle theme, they're so fantastic. 
Um, so when he was in the hospital, Uematsu completed the soundtrack with, um, I think there were 10 songs that he finished. Um, and then moving on from that, he worked with Uematsu on well, another one of my favorite OSTs from a game I've never played, uh, Front Mission Gun Hazard. And that's a really cool soundtrack. And um, I wish was, it came out. Did they come out in the States? I feel like that was one of the big ones that we didn't get. Yeah, we didn't, yeah so that, that was only um, in Japan and maybe Europe. But that never came out in the States. Both of those games came out in 96. Um, and then he worked on Tobal number one. And then he went oh. freelance in 98. And that's yeah, which is weird. So it's, it's like he didn't do a ton of tracks. I noticed like when I was looking at his works, yeah. like he had those few games from the mm-hmm. beginning. Mm-hmm. And then it was almost like he would, he had like one track for an entire OST or maybe five <laughs> tracks out of a, like a 50-track OST. So all of a sudden he was like, we need a big hitter. Yeah. For the big wow piece for this game, get Madsen, get Mitsuda. What has he done? Chrono Trigger, Zeno <laughs> Gears. What else? That's it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but well, that's he, all he needs to have done. Yeah, he did. In '98, he went um, freelance, but then uh, continued to do work for Square. He did Zeno Gears, um, and he did Chrono Cross, um, and he also worked on Mario Party in '98. Uh, Chrono Cross came out in '99. Um, and then in 2000s, he worked on uh, a slew of other games, but he mainly with other composers. He uh, Shadow Hearts, uh, Xenosaga, uh, 1 and 2, um, a few others. Those are, those are the, the main highlights. But in the end of the 2000s, he worked mainly as an arranger and as a producer um, for other soundtracks. Um, and to this day, so he, and he also does music for advertisements and for anime and for... Um, what's those things where it's like, a audio, like audio dramas that they release in Japan? Um, so he I think you of, just said it. That's really what it is. Yeah. And that, okay. Good. That's that's what it's called, <laughs> audio drama. Um, so yeah, and he does a lot of that. So I'm really excited. We're going to hopefully play. I didn't. I haven't seen your picks yet. So hopefully we're going to pick music from uh, different games to show kind of the breadth of his musical style. The wild. Yeah. And you're going to hear a lot of like similarities in some of these tracks, which is very cinematic. Um, the melodies are like it's very theme heavy. So. Um, themes are going to run through the songs and then past Chrono Cross I feel like he has it's more of like kind of a Latin more kind of an island kind of feel um, with his rhythms anyway uh, which is exciting and and for bonus round I got some some some, some cool stuff so and I know you do too I might don't confirm it it could be terrible I could have the worst picks we've ever had on this show that's not right possible now. today that's not possible today <laughs> I, know that. I don't know guys you guys have had a great track record until now but those that abomination of a track from Mr. Purnell <laughs> woof now I don't think Nothing. we're gonna, I don't think we're gonna pick music in um, in chronological order uh, that he worked on I don't I don't think so but we're gonna we're gonna do some we're just gonna pick around some some tracks that we explored maybe some music that you've never heard of or more obscure deeper cuts of the composer Yasunori Mitsuda so Pranav why don't you uh, begin so my first track is not obscure but it is a surprise that he did it when I came across I was like whoa this was him cool so this is one of his most likely we need this guy to come in and do a banger of a track because I think it's the only track he did for the entire game but it is from Kid Icarus Uprising for the Nintendo 3DS and it is the boss battle one theme
welcome back. You're listening to the Boss Battle 1 theme from the game Kid Icarus Uprising on the Nintendo 3DS, composed by Yasunori Mitsuda. Uh, again, I believe this is the only track he did for the entire game. If he didn't do just this, then there's only one other. Probably the title theme. That would be fitting for him. Um, this track is a fantastic theme that plays during some of the boss battles in the game. And it really adds a little bit of a, it adds a lot of tension to them actually, and it gets you hyped up for the excitement and action that's going to come from the battle. Um, the game itself, uh, it bugs me how Nintendo is putting out all these like new updated games for uh, the Switch. They're taking like a bunch of Wii U games, throwing them on the Switch. Uh, I feel like Kid Icarus Uprising, even if they have to retool it a bit, really needs to get a redo because for those not familiar with this game. It has two methods of play. There's an element of the game where you're kind of like flying in the sky and you're moving pit around like almost like a, like a rail shooter and you're taking out enemies as they're flying in. And then there's another element where you're on the ground and you're running around and you're actually like shooting at guys and whacking them with like clubs and weapons, like me melee weapons and um, range weapons. And you're exploring. But the way the control scheme worked for it on the 3DS, it was so cumbersome that Nintendo ultimately had to release some ridiculous, like, stand for it. It's a portable console that they released a stand for. <laughs> so you're supposed to put the stand up, set the 3DS on the stand so you didn't have to hold it while you played it so you could actually hit the buttons without getting hand cramps and jump. That it is was, the most Nintendo thing I've ever heard. It really <laughs> it is. Really and it's is. a shame because the game is fantastic, but it's so uncomfortable to play. Like, I hear people complain about controls and some games where it's like, well, jump should be should be the lower button, not the upper button. That's an annoyance. It doesn't outright break it. Kid Icarus, on the other hand, is like, oh, God, like, I can't even do this for more than two stages without putting it down. Oh my God. But when I do play those two stages, it's a lot of fun. And when you have music like this, because fun fact, all of the music in this OST is on par with this. Like, it's not, none of the, it's not done by Mitsuda. It's done by a bunch of other composers, but they all brought their A-game to it, and it shows. Um... It's just a shame that more people haven't played it, and those who did are probably now suffering like terminal cramps or something. <laughs> um, but it's worth trying out if you can get a hold of, or at least sitting down to the OST. It's so banging. Yeah, it's a good song. I, I mean, it's got the heavy guitar with the guitar solo, but again, you can hear like the melody is really, really strong um, through the guitar, through the string section. So there's a, like a lot of like orchestral type sounds mixed with everything else. And this is what he's all about. Um, I read that like what he likes to do is just fool around on his keyboard until he lands in a melody that he really, really likes. And then he builds his track off of that. So, um, and then actually, I, I, towards the end of this track, it sort of sounds like a, like a take on the original Kid Icarus theme um, on, like, on the second half of this song. Uh, maybe just I'm going to make sure you even caught that. Because so my it, memory of the original theme is like, it's like I know it, but I wasn't connecting it to like I know. Maybe it's something else. That's Hirokazu Tanaka, and so for him to take something like that and to really flip it around, but have some some similar feel to the original theme of the game, is is really cool. And and it's a boss battle, so it's super fast, it's super fun. It has a lot of movements to it, so as you're doing the boss battle, it's not it doesn't feel like a one note for the whole thing. I think, I think that's really when the music really carries the, the gameplay like that. And they do a good job of it here because honestly, when this episode is done, if I can bring myself to it, I may, I may well break the game up just to see if I can enjoy it again or at least do like a two stages or so because I never finished it. 
You can probably guess why. And it's not the normal Pernell doesn't said, uh, beat games. You're going to break the game out. But it sounded like, like I'm just going to break the game. I'm just going to break it. Snap it. going to break it over my knee. Screw this stand. <laughs> There's right. nothing still sitting on my cabinet and everything. I have all of this stuff, including the stand from it. Oh, you even have the stand, too, huh? Do I have the stand? Got everything. All right, so we are moving on to uh, back into the PlayStation. This is we're gonna listen to Xeno Gears, which we've never played on the show. I cannot believe it. Um, and we're gonna listen to the track Deadly Dance, which I think is battle music, maybe a mid-boss uh, battle. I'm not. I may know it if I hear it because I played a lot of that game. Oh, good. Not finishing it. Yeah, we need your help here. I need your help here because I don't remember. So this is a uh, Deadly Dance from Xeno Gears for the Sony PlayStation. Listening to Deadly Dance from the game Xenogears for the Sony PlayStation, composed by Yasunori Mitsuda. Man, this song is so cool. Is it, you, said, you said it was battle music? This is the main battle theme, yeah. Oh, this is the it's main fan. battle I theme. I love this track. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic track. It's kind of slow. Like I feel like for for main battle, it's it's got kind of a slower pace. But it works because it's the tempo that. Well, I guess that's what you would call it. it's the tempo, tempo. that makes it work. It's not fast, but it cr- it, it hits high. Mm-hmm. So. It, it's like it's very it's very appropriate for the old when you're battling because the battles in this game um, there's two types of battles one of which I love and one of which I didn't which is also slightly why I never finished the game um, because I got to the last boss and the last boss is bought well I'll get to that so the main battle type is uh, when your characters are on foot and when you're on foot combat consists of you selecting attack to choose a target. But then there are buttons, like the face buttons on the PlayStation controller can be strung together to perform combos, and then they lead into, like, finishing moves. And so you might do, like, punch, punch, kick, and then the last button will be, like, if you push, you'll do, like, you know, phase, like, triple kick or something. So they'll go, yeah, 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 and it'll be, like, it's triple kick damage. And then you'll do that over and over, and eventually he'll unlock a string off, a, a branch off. So it'll go punch, punch, kick. And he can either do the another button press to do a triple kick, or he can do circle to do like a like a sickle or something, a running sickle. And they'll have those two options. And you just keep branching out to having options for like these strings of moves you can do. And it ends up being a lot of fun to fight like that. The second battle type is uh, in your gears. Gears basically being giant, you know, you know, kaiju robots. 
essentially. And the characters get inside of them, and that's when the gameplay battles, in my opinion, it's, it's much slower. Like, mech combat is really slow. Um, you develop, you eventually end up getting to a point where you have a resource known as fuel, basically because robots run on fuel, and you have to be conservative of how much fuel you've got for everything you do, and if you run out of fuel, you're kind of screwed. Um, it's It just it annoyed me. Like, I get at the time that it was like, hey, this is... I think at the time there weren't any other games aside from maybe Metal Max, which we weren't getting in the States, that had characters fighting in an RPG in mech comic and mech suits. Um, so for the States, this was kind of a new gimmick of, hey, everybody's riding, piloting giant robots. This is awesome. Yeah, it was like, I remember, it, like, like, see, I never played this one, but I remember seeing it in magazines and hearing about it and thinking that the having two different battle systems like that was a really cool idea. And then I also heard that the story is like crazy convoluted and, and like classic square doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, all right. But that's the thing, like, it's not so much that it doesn't make sense as it is, uh, it's, it's genuinely deep, where like, if you play it from a general casual perspective, and when I say casual, I mean like, oh, filthy casual. No, that's me. I'm I mean, a terrible casual. I'm, I'm a terrible but, video game player. Oh, st- oh stop it. Oh, I am. You I'm saying me. casual. Yeah, I'm, but I'm saying like casual as in like, when I sometimes review games, I'll say, I wasn't all that concerned about the narrative. Okay. I was just going from point A to point B. This kid needs help. Here's your berry child. Oh, punch a boss. Um, no, this, you want to pay attention to what people say and what they do. You want to understand why you're going to locations and what, you, what this location is all about. Because if the narrative actually tricks to the point where they reference that, and that location also was a reason for why this technology was created, which resulted in this guy actually not being who he says he is, blah, blah, blah. It all weaves together in a way where if you're not paying attention, when that big hammer drops, you're going to miss a beat. And if you miss one beat, you miss multiple beats, and it kind of tears it down. The other really big issue with the narrative in this game, and what kind of irks me about Square in general, is that at the time they were developing Zeno Gears, they were in a bit of a budget crunch. Hmm. Um, they could not afford to properly complete the game. So, and you might have heard people talk about this in general RPG circles, but the first disc is a masterpiece. The second disc is depressing because they had to take a lot of shortcuts. So rather than being like exploring a world and going to locations and experiencing the narrative as you you know progress like a JRPG typical, it becomes almost a visual novel where it has like it'll have like strings of text, like just blocks of text explaining the team went to this location and where they got there they discovered something oh, horrible, blah blah blah. And then and every and every once in a while it'll just like dump you into a dungeon. Because that's the dungeon you would have been playing during that point in the game. And Square had already finished the dungeon. So, well, I guess we can let him do it. And um, it just does that for hours and hours. And at the very end of the game, they let you access the world map again. But most of the locations on the map are, like, blocked off because they don't have anything there for you to do. And you can just, like, go to the final dungeon and, like, play through it. Uh-huh. And it, it's just... They remade Final Fantasy VII, which really didn't need to be remade at all. This game deserves a real remake. It deserves a completed remake. And it depresses me, depressing me from a gamer. Not like I'm not sitting here bawling tears or nothing. Come on, folks. Um, But it depresses me that they just let it languish back there, knowing that there's an audience that would genuinely appreciate it if they gave it the work that it deserves. Now, I'm not sure if it's because of any relations, like the whole, like, the idea that there's, like, the Xenoblade series, which I... I never quite dug deep enough to remember whether or not, like, Monolith Soft was like a weird spinoff of what used to be a part of Square Soft, which was affiliated with Zeno Gears. I don't remember, but I could see it being possible because Zeno, Zeno Gears did lead into Zeno Saga, 
which isn't it's like not like a one to one but there's like a slight relationship between them somewhat but I don't freaking know because I hated Zenosaga don't quote me on that anybody I actually do I hated the game um but then after Zenosaga you then get the Xenoblade games and again I don't know uh, I know they're not related narratively uh, but the Zeno concept might be uh, so Monolith Soft is a subsidiary of Nintendo yeah, they are citizens. I know they are now, right. yeah. but I'm saying, like, initially, like, where did they come from before they became a subsidiary of Nintendo? Uh, a brief Google search says that there are no story connections between these games. Oh, no, oh, between Zeno Gears and Zeno Saga, though? Zeno Blade and Zeno. Not because, like, Zeno. Oh, Zeno you know Blade. God, I've been seeing these words and they all look the same to me. I'm just going to stop. <laughs> Trust me, don't go down the rabbit hole. But what I can say, because like I gotta feel like EB might hit us with the with the good word. Yeah, I'm sure but he will. What I, I need some but, help. <laughs> but what I can say, at least from what I do know, is that Xenoblade has nothing to do narratively with Zeno Gears or Zeno Saga. It's just the general concept of Zeno that gets people thinking: Are they associated by development team? Um, because even though they're a subsidiary of Nintendo, they had to come from somewhere, and right. maybe some of those people were originally working with Square when Xenogears was made. Um, but I do know that Xenosaga does have a slight tie-in narratively with Xenogears, but you have to kind of like dig into it and all that. And again, I didn't like Xenosaga enough to go that deep. I just knew it and walked away. Well, if we go um, back to Chrono Cross, so Chrono Cross being sort of the, the, the sequel or the successor to Chrono Trigger, I mean, again, like... I feel like there were connections back to Chrono Trigger, but there were so, oh there was they were unnecessary and it, they were unnecessary oh, they, they, and convoluted. They they were too well. The narrative as a whole was, but the the main connection that mattered wasn't too convoluted. It's just the time devourer was basically lava. That's all. Yeah, I know. I just that's the connection. I, they, all, remade the, they, they remade the they remade the DS game. They remade Chrono Trigger on the DS. Mm -hmm. And when they did that remake, they added a bonus dungeon, which the final boss of the dungeon was basically the tie-in that tells you why Shala was connected to the Time Devourer. That's essentially it. Okay, I don't know. I was, I remember like going through that and being like, I'm not super interested in the story. Maybe like when I play an RPG long enough, I become less interested in the story. <laughs> which I think is probably it's just how they write ever, it, right? This is usually how they write it. Chrono Cross got weird when you became Lynx, and at that point it was like, what's even happening anymore? Yeah. And I thought that at was that the point, most a lot of people typed too. off. Well, it was interesting, but it didn't make sense. It was like, this thing happens. You don't know why it happens. You don't know what to do with the darn panther. They do eventually explain it by the end, but by that point I was mentally tapped out because it was just a lot of convoluted gubble-gubble. But leading up to that... It made sense. They gave me this narrative where you just got dumped into this parallel world. And though that was still something you had to figure out, the main narrative became dealing with the poor family, P-O-R-E, and getting into that stinking mansion and dealing with all that stuff. So, it was only when they brought Lynx back and they got all weird and mess. And like, you got scratched by a panther when you were a child? Well, that explains something. <laughs> whatever. I know, that's square soft. Those stories and the, the way they write things—it's a little, a little strange, a little over the top, convoluted. What like Kingdom Hearts? There you a go. little disc, a little disco dashy. Um, all right, so we're on to your second track. What game are you going to pick from? Well, I was going to say don't do Zeno Gears now because we only need it once on the show, but I still want to pick Zeno Gears. So it just means I got to figure out which of my tracks don't make the cut in the long run. So, uh oh. Um, but this track is one that I really like, 
And it was a hard choice between the Zeno Gears for these two tracks because there are three tracks in the OST that really hit with me. Two that I consider for the show, but also I'm selling on this one. This is the Black Moon Forest from the Zeno Gears, composed by Yasunori Mitsuda. listening to the Black Moon Forest track from the game Xenogears composed by Yasunori Mitsuda. Um, for all the tracks that this game has, as fantastic as they are, some of which many would expect to be more in my wheelhouse even, I have to say this one is tied for my favorite in the entire OST coupled with Wind from the Valley and Fuse. Uh, it's just... It's the first dungeon, quote unquote, that you take that you enter in the game. The Blackwood Forest is where you have to pass through from your hometown to get to the desert town. I'm gonna say it's the Desert Kingdom, um, but it's just so good, and it's very appropriate for the environment you're in because it is like a dark forest. But I like how it goes from being like a dark, like creepy esque theme to more of like a sort of like you're in a forest clearing sort of theme. Like, you know, like you're kind of like you're sitting out and it's like, hey, there's the light kind of shining through the canopy of the trees, hitting down. And it's like, do, 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 do. Like, you're walking through this, like, wooded area with like, a little bit of light shining down. It does such a good job. It's fantastic. Well, what's interesting is that that opening section doesn't repeat. There's like this long, almost sinister, kind of scary sound. But then, 
like kind of slowly fades out and then it swells into this major chord with these strings. When and you then, think about it, though, it makes a up, lot of sense. Oh, it's so good. What's that? In a way, when you think about it, though, it kind of makes sense that it would do that from a if you're if he was composing it with the intent being to go in this exact spot in the game, mm-hmm. being that so you know when you enter the forest, you expect it to be like this scary place, this is a dangerous forest. You oh, don't go in there. Yeah. Don't go in. So when you first walk in the forest, it's like, oh, what's going on? It's a scary place. <laughs> All the eyes sticking out, you know, peeking at you from out behind the behind the brush, and the music starts to play. It is scary. But then as you start to try to reverse it into it, you get deeper, and you're like, wait, this isn't so bad. It's actually kind of serene. Do, 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 do. Yeah, but then you get to this section right here. It's beautiful, and then... Yeah, it's the adventure. Every one of these hits. Like, you could probably map out a sense of progression into your sense of your feeling as you progress into the force, just by the way it plays. Is that it's this section back into that little those little steps right here? It just it doesn't it doesn't go back to the scary section. It just keeps looping back into this little this little journey into the forest. Oh. And it's just good. That's why I think it's great. I, honestly, it's been years, and I mean really years, since I've played this, and I kind of want to try it again now to see if, how I feel about it now. But I wouldn't be surprised if that scary part doesn't even come back after a battle. Yeah, probably not. It probably just goes back to the main because it probably goes back to playing from the main looped sections. It's probably like like tagged at different times of the song. But um, but yeah, even those those little piano chords are kind of minor and a little dissonant from the rest of the song. And I feel like that's something Mitsuda does in a lot of his songs. Like it's almost kind of jazzy in a way. Mm-hmm. He's playing with all these different um, notes. But they all fit in this big, I don't know, adventurous, epic feeling um, song. So this this song really reminds me of Chrono Cross. This song really reminds me of Final Fantasy X, actually. Oh man, we it had yeah. hit the button. It's <laughs> <laughs> the Macalania Woods right here. Macalania Woods from Final Fantasy X. Um, but I will I'll stop. I won't I won't make any more. Uh, that was, that was uh, too late. We already had to mark the board. <laughs> we already changed the post-it note on the board. I gotta wipe the board. Uh, this many weeks since I've Rob's talked about Final Fantasy X. That's right. Sorry, <laughs> New post-it. It's okay. We appreciate. It's just it's what makes you great. If right. you did, we'd be like, "Are you okay, Rob? You haven't talked about it in a while." Right. Our next track is coming from the game Shadow Hearts, which I'm not familiar with. You, uh, you are, right? More or less, yeah. I'll, I can talk a little about it. It's oh. a weird game. Yeah, I don't know much about it, but this is music from the game Shadow Hearts. This track is called City, or it's from the section of the game of, that's just the city, and it is composed by Yatsunori Masuda.
this is the music City from the game Shadow Hearts for the Sony PlayStation. And again, you've got like just this weird uh, kind of off-key minor sounding flute within this this funky organ, this rock organ comes in. It's like, where did Nobu Imatsu come from? And then you get like that that hard slap bass and then the waka chicka waka chicka waka guitar comes. <laughs> the waka chicka waka. The waka chicka, yeah. The, 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 Admittedly, the that's the way guitar. you describe it, though. It's, it's the way you do it. Hmm? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like now I want a chicken. Like... I want an actual chicken that squawks like this. It's like every time he's running around, the, he runs around the hen house. Waka chicka waka chicka waka chicka waka chicka. Just like just running around. Waka chicka waka chicka. <laughs> it's like I got my favorite chicken right here. Are you gonna cook him? No, he's the walking chicken bird. He ain't going nowhere. This is my baby. Oh my god, and this track is super neat. It's 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 dark, but it's funky at the same time because of that guitar and that organ, and then that that the flute comes back, and it's just again it has a weird fantasy feel to what is really kind of a dark funk tune. It's really interesting, and then it sounds like it goes underwater onto the second half of the track right here. Like everything's coming up. Everything's, st- all the instruments are starting to fade out. You're just back to that guitar. There's actually a number. And then that's like, it. The percussion's gone. And you're the funny thing is like, I always think it's funny though. Cause like I look back on my time when I, cause I played some of Shadow Hearts. This actually came up maybe a few weeks ago, actually. We were talking about something to somebody about Shadow Hearts and how like I own all three of them. I only played some of the first. One of them was a gift from a friend, and the third one I bought to complete the set. But I've only ever played some of the first. And uh, I feel like I could go back to it now and appreciate it from a different light because I disliked it before because the battle system bugged me because they used something called Judgment Rings, where, you know, it was a period in RPG history where developers were trying to come up with a way to spice up turn-based combat. Mm. Grandia had the sort of like the interrupt gauge. Um, Legend of Lagaya had its combo meter, where yeah. you had to like you could like choose like the different like punch, punch, kick, and that would give you your combo attack. Yeah, or whatever. even Final Fantasy into, into five or six had the had the weight had the um, active battle mode, and mm-hmm. um, um, uh, Chrono Cross had like the the color like the magic color system. So the field was a specific color you can you can amplify your attacks. Legend of Dragoon had the, the the square where it would spin around, and when it stopped and when it centered itself, that's when you had to time your button presses. And with this game, the way it tried to do it was with Judgment Ring, which was a circle that looked kind of like a dial. And uh, as you know, it was a circle, and then a dial would spin around it. And then you had to time when to press the button to stop the stop the dial in the circle. And depending on where you stopped, it determined how effective the attack was. There was a sweet spot for crits. There was a small but larger window for just the attack connected and then the majority of the circle was if you hit it here it missed so it was like you always had to be mindful of your timing there were items to slow the timing down there were items that would speed the timing up but it allow you to do more damage if you connected with it and stuff like that and for some reason at that time I was like this is annoying to me I don't like the idea of fighting a boss and having this critical moment where I just screwed up because I just didn't hit it in the critical zone well enough it bugged me and I didn't stick with it. And the thing that really ultimately said after that was like, okay, I'm done. Was in addition to that, there was this one part in the game where uh, you meet an old lady in a town and she starts to tell you a story about like a haunted legend that took place there where someone got killed by a spirit or whatever. 
but the way she tells it, she tells it, well, it's audio, it's voice, by the way, but she tells it like a lady who really needs a throat lozenge. Like, she's like, <laughs> and then the monster went, <laughs> like, she does that, like, gut, just guttural sound. And she just keeps doing it over and over again as she's telling the story. And it makes you laugh hard. You're like, is this serious? Were they taking this seriously when they voiced this? I don't know anymore. This is ridiculous. And I'm not the guy that usually be like, this be, this voice acting work is bizarre. I don't like it. But this was the one time where I was like, this is, I can't even take this seriously anymore. This is just terrible. <laughs> but, <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> so bad. But um, that was around the time I stopped. But I also like that you can play as like Roger Bacon is in the game. Roger and Bacon. if I remember correctly, Roger Bacon from back then, because I don't remember anymore, but at the time I recall Roger Bacon was actually a historical figure, but they just threw him in the game. He was a philosopher. There we go. Hmm. But they put him in the game as a guy in like a, like, in a dress attire and a top hat and cane, who for a while at least was like the main antagonist. But it was such a weird game. But I kind of want to go back and revisit it now because, again, it's sitting on my shelf. I probably saw my old save file from it. Just a matter of playing it. You even meet a Russian spy. <laughs> it's like she calls it like airstrikes or a phone. I'll tell you this. I, I don't know much about this game. The, the, the That dial system where you have to, like, hit it to get critical is like, it's like you spin a dial and you have to hit it at the right timing. That mm-hmm. sounds super familiar to me, and the picture of it looks really familiar. So... Maybe I did play this for a while, but I'm 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 googling through the monsters of this game, and they are genuinely like unsettling, and yeah, and weirdly like a mix of like monster, like movie monster, and like like human anatomy, like kind of mashed remember, together. It's really like kind of. If I remember correctly, creepy. the main character turns into monsters too. Oh no, kidding. Mm-hmm. He can turn. He can transform into monsters at will or something like that. Yeah, I think you you earn more transformations as you play the game. It's again, this is all like I usually have a really good memory of my games, but this is one where it's like I feel like it's a little loose. But I do know that he could turn into a monster. I just can't remember if he could get additional monster forms. I um, I like this this music. Is the is like the rest of this movie have kind of like a dark kind of horror vibe to it? It's a it's a dark game, but it's got light dialogue. So, like, for example, the main character meets a girl nearly at the near the beginning of the game named Alice, and that's the main relationship of the game. But Yuri, the main character, is generally fairly light in his text, despite the fact that he's also kind of like, I don't give a crap, I'll just kill him. But he's goofy about it half the time. So it's like, is he serious? Is he not? I don't know. Again, you meet a Russian spy who calls an airstrike from her, from her giant phone. Like, it's there's a lot of elements in this game that you can tell we're not meant to be taking it's like it's meant to be tongue-in-cheek and yet at the same time the story as a whole is very serious and the world itself is very dark kind of so kind of mixed together there mm-hmm all right so we are on to your third track right now right mm-hmm Which and got? since you just picked from xeno gears i'm sorry from shadow hearts maybe it, i'll save mine for the end of the show mm-hmm. and go with a different track instead so this comes from a game that I used to play quite a bit on the PS Vita with Mike called Soul Sacrifice. Um, it was their attempt at taking on, you know, the monster hunter style game of people getting together and hunting and like repeating stages or whatever with equipment, blah, blah, blah. You get the point. But the game's track, the music in this game is actually really good. Um, 
Some of it's pretty unsettling. Some of it I don't think I typically would pick for this show, but right. I think this one's a good one. Hmm. It's called Non-Humans, and it's composed by... You know who it is. Let's just do that. Quite the ending there, man. <laughs> yeah, right. You better have won the battle by then, or uh, else woof. That that baby. that note right there was like, "You are dead." <laughs> it sounded <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Game battles in this. Oh, well, I'll reiterate. This is the track "Non-Humans" from the game Soul Sacrifice on the PlayStation Vita. And uh, yeah, this game. Some of the bad boss battles in this game, if you didn't come with a decent loadout, they will mop the floor with you. The game gets pretty hard, honestly, from what I remember. Um, it wasn't. I wouldn't say I was even all that great at it, but I did like what I played of it for the time that I did. Um, and I did end up getting the updated sequel eventually. I bought off of Joe actually, and he gave me a good solid because if I remember correctly, it doesn't. It sells for a decent penny nowadays, but at the time he gave it to me for like cost, which was awesome. But um, yeah, Soul Sacrifice is a pretty quality game. Um, you literally end up you, the the loadouts you make are like things that are supposed to like. Like, you're probably going to have, like, a monster arm or something, so you're kind of like, it's like this gross description where it's like, it has to binding itself to your flesh, blah, but in the end, you end up, like, launching, like, cool different projectiles, like a bone boomerang and, like, fireballs and stuff, and you're just dashing around, beating up horror, like, pretty grotesque monsters, actually. Oh, yeah. Like, there's, there's not a beautiful thing in this game at all. Nothing. It's just gross crap. Even the giant angels you eventually start fighting, they're like closer to like biblical angels than like hmm. you know typical angels you see in like TV. Um, but it's a good game overall if you can deal with that kind of stuff. Well, that's, and, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, the, the the enemies in Shadow Hearts look pretty sinister and dark too. So this has got that kind of feel to it also. Yeah, it's a it's a quality product. Yeah, the like, music on this episode's really been running the range of highs and lows, and this this has less of that sound that we were talking about before and more of like a straightforward horror movie like being chased by something 
Yeah, yeah. and I could see that being fitting too. Again, like a lot of creepy monsters in the game, so maybe for this particular track, he was going for like horror theme, a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I like, like it. Do 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 do. But I love the track, and I like the idea, like this giant like monster chasing you around, and you're trying to fight back, but at the same time, you're running from it too, like running and shooting backwards. Like, get away from it reminds me. me of some scenes from um, House of the Dead. Where like you're running and then it, then it turns around and you have to like zap the screen and I don't know zap the screen. I, a, I actually like games like that and I wish more games would actively make it so that you were running but also have to like stop and turn around occasionally. Yeah, yeah. It's like crap, turn around, shoot back, and if you don't turn around at the right times, they're gonna catch up to you. Just like it would be if you were actually running, like you don't just know they're catching up. You have to feel like they're catching exactly, up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You turn around and shoot like, back. A lot of these games, like you have a view like from above your player. See what's going on, and if, as as a for a game, you know, it, it's only fair to have an idea of a perception of where things are in relation to, you know, your main character and where where you can get hit, right? Yeah. But uh, but but to do it that way, that's interesting. Um, so this next track is from a game very different, <laughs> very very different. <laughs> no but, souls are being sacrificed in the making of your game. Yeah, no, we're going all the way back to uh, 1996. This is Toeball number one for the Sony PlayStation. Um, another SquareSoft game, but it is a um, it is a fighting game slash adventure game, but mainly a fighting game, which I think most people bought because of the Final Fantasy VII sampler CD included. Ooh, <laughs> the it. sampler. Yeah, there was like a, I think you can get like a, it was like the first the first stage or the first like. Um, what's what's that, that that where you can go to fight the reactor or destroy the reactor. Mm, that's the wrong guy. I sucked at Tobol. Oh, anyway. Are you talking about, you're talking about Final Fantasy VII? Yeah, Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, the demo. So there's the sampler demo CD of Final Fantasy VII packed in with Tobol number one, which I'm going to guess is that the majority of people who bought Tobol number one bought it for the Final Fantasy VII demo. I did. Well, I see, Chris, I didn't buy Tobol number one, but I wanted it for the demo. Yeah. Oh, man. So that takes me back. Way that takes me way back in the day when, um, before Star Wars Episode One came out, there was so much hype that they were making another Star Wars movie, right? Mm-hmm. And so the first trailer, the very first trailer that was coming out for it, was um, it was it was a trailer for one of the this horrible. Uh, wait, it was for the movie for Wing Commander, the video game ad, movie adaptation Wing Commander. Um, uh, man, that that. I had a pretty good, pretty good cast, but no terrible movie. And there was a trailer, and so we all went to the movie to see the trailer for for Star Wars Episode One, and then stayed for the movie, which was okay. <laughs> had oh, right, had Freddie Prince Jr. Um, and Matt Lillard, who in the future went on to be um, in the Scooby Doo movies as uh, Fred and Scooby, uh, not Scooby, uh, no Shaggy, Shaggy, respectively, yeah, <laughs> Scooby. No, he did not play the doll. Um, anyway, this is music from Toeball Number One, which had eight composers from Squaresoft in it, um, and Yasunori Matsuda did uh, two, maybe three tracks on the on the uh, soundtrack. And this is one of them. This is the uh, the name entry screen for, for a high score. So this is called "Your Name Is" from Toeball Number One for the Sony PlayStation. Your name is what? Your name is who? Your name is Wiki Wiki Sam- Mitsuda. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs>
this chill, chill track, which I should probably send a hammock um, over at KVGM. Yeah, the last wave. Uh, this is the Your Name Is. This is like the name entry screen from Tobal number one for the Sony PlayStation. Um, yeah, this this came out just before Final Fantasy VII was released, and people were super excited for maybe a fighting game. I mean, I, mean, I guess I guess at 97, 98, um, kids, maybe my age, around high school, are very excited about anime, about Dragon Ball. Um, JRPGs are just becoming more mainstream in the States. And here comes a fighting game, a 3D fighting game from Squaresoft with artwork by Akira Toriyama. You know, that's, that's kind of a cool thing, right? Like, that's probably, I mean, not exactly a slam dunk, but it's interesting enough to, to get some steam. Yeah, it's honestly pretty cool in the sense that, um, like, I remember when this game first came out, too. Like, I I was mainly interested because of the Akira Toriyama art. I'm not even going to front. Mm. Um, but what made it really awesome to me was that the home releases of this added this cool dungeon exploration mode to it which was very unlike a fighting game so are you were you familiar with the with the dungeon running no i don't know much anything about this game i think i played it two player maybe just a few times because i played a lot of fighting games especially around this time of of my life so Mm -hmm. and and it just i remember it was like a it was kind of a mix between air geist and um Tekken a little bit. Yeah, well, it wasn't as, if I remember correctly, the battle wasn't as free flow as Tekken. As, oh, sorry, Tekken. As, it wasn't as free flow as Air Guys was. Yeah. Air Guys was 100%. You could just run where you wanted to run. Right. Whereas Tobal still kind of kept you lined up with each other, but I think you could break it every once in a while, mm-hmm. maybe. It's been a long time. And I've actually never owned Tobal. I used to play other people's and rented it. But uh, it was just. A matter of like, I like that that dungeon element even existed in the game where you just ran around. But the battles themselves, you fought monsters, mm-hmm. but you fought them like it was a fighting game. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. You know, they tried that. I want to say they tried that. Maybe that was the idea with the Mortal Kombat adventure series for Sub Zero, but that looked just boring, man. It was like you you travel through like a dungeon fighting things, but it was really like just running left to right and fighting the same thing over and over again but um, yeah, never been a Mortal Kombat fan just didn't like the everything felt really um, uh, uh, I don't know just kind of stiff about Mortal Kombat? yeah Mortal Kombat feels stiff man like everything with Street Fighter everything has like a, like a rhythm to it and it flows Mortal Kombat everything just kind of stops the first everyone's, and second holding, game. everyone's like back is like super poker straight you know it's so strange I mean, I assume they fixed it by then, but I know at least the first and second game, like, I remember using Sonya Blade, and when she would go from, like, her stance to that flying kick she could do, it was a very, like, janky motion. It would just go, like, she would just, like, box herself up like a crumbled piece of paper. It's like, yeah! It's like, kick across the screen. There was no fluid, like, stance change. It was just crumpled paper. Jump! Um, so it was like, eh, you know, but at the time, I it was also the technology, and I let it go. They were trying to be more realistic than Street Fighter funny how i say that because he rips spines out but just more like they were going for like more like these look like as close to like humans as we could get in the game right now as opposed to like cart like street fire which was like kind of animated still mm-hmm. yeah i like i like the anime style uh, more in fighting games it's just it's just it just lends itself to to that style for me um a lot more i don't have that nostalgia like i played a lot of mortal Kombat when i was younger because you know, I was like 14, and cartoon violence was was the thing. You know. Um, oh yeah. I guess I was 14. I was probably younger, but man, that was the stuff. 
now it's like <laughs> and that's what it like brought across like that helped bring about the uh, the m rating and the rating system for video games it's it's a different world these days from where we come from yeah, for, Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even gonna start. I'm not even gonna start. Not I kind of want those glasses, though. The Dwayne Wayne glasses. Here's a chance to make it. Yeah! If you got. If Focus you, on our goals! You could pull them off, though. If you got the Dwayne Wayne glasses. I would wear them today, and I wouldn't even sweat it. Yeah. Those things were legit. Honestly, they were convenient, too. Like, the idea of having it because they would get past the whole shades issue. Yeah. Can't wear sunglasses when you wear glasses, but the Wayne Wayne didn't give two hoops. Like, flip up, flip down. Yeah, flip Whatever. up, flip down. You need to wear like a lot more color though. You like a lot of purples and bright yellows. Some razzmatazz. Yeah, some of that good '90s gear. Hyper color. Zesty pizzazz. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna turn this super dope chill track down, and we're gonna get into the part of the show that we call the bonus round. Bonus round. The bonus, bonus round it, it. Gonna listen to so cool songs. It's a different set. It's a different set of the show. I'm stuck. Where you come from? <laughs> so I was like, what's wrong with him right now? Is he having a seizure? Uh, this is not different strokes. This is uh, Pernell having a stroke. Not a different world. Oh, different mercy. Uh, all right. So- mercy. <laughs> Uh, so the the bonus round the bonus round is where we play covers and remixes and arrangements on our theme and our theme is Yasuno, the music of Yasunori Mitsuda so Pranal what'd you find well I was actually stringing and looking for some stuff some cool chatter my batter and I came across a track cover from Dale North which oh. he does good work overall but I don't think I've ever really picked a Dale North thing for the show so it's time to remedy that and what that track is, is a cover from Xenogears, um, and it's called Broken Mirror. It's his version of the track Too Small, Too Small of Pieces from that game. So here's the hoping that it sounds as good to you as it did to me. Find the answers and pain 
Welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed that nice piece by Dale North being called Broken Mirror from his version of Too Small of Pieces from the game Xenogears. He slapped some sweet, sweet vocals in there with his mm. words, his voice, his deliciousness. It's great. Were there, um, were there lyrics to the original music? You're asking the wrong guy. You gotta <laughs> remember, man, it's been a minute for me with this game. Um, and also, I can also attest to... I was never one for like a lot of like openings and endings and games where I was like, hey, we got to sing it to take you on this really cool song. Mm. Like I never quite got down with it. It was always like stuff like the Ease ending and uh, like Super Mario World ending that stuck with me. But it's very rare that something really makes me go, that ending really reminded I want to remember this. I want to keep playing it in my head. Yeah. So I don't remember this one too much. But I also, off the top of my head, don't recall any vocal tracks in this game. But I also didn't finish it. So if this was like the ending track, for example, I never heard it because I didn't beat the game. I couldn't beat Deus. Or rather, I couldn't beat the thing that came after Deus. Um, but anyway, the track itself, though, this is really nice. Like it, I wasn't expecting it to resonate with me that well because I'm usually more of a harsh, louder, faster tempo guy. Mm, yeah. But maybe with the time I heard it, Maybe it was the way I heard it. I don't know, but I really like this track a lot. It's 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 nice. It's, cal- it's calming, even. Well, we're gonna do a, a, a similar track here. So, um, well, similar ish. So, and maybe it's just like like his uh, uh, Mitsuda's style lends itself to kind of like these sort of sweeping, almost kind of love songs or ballads. Um, so this is the. I believe it is the credits, the credit roll song from Rockman Dash Two, and which is Rock was it Mega Man Legends Two, which mm-hmm. did that come out in the states? Mega Man Legends. Yes, it 2? did. Oh, it did. It okay. did. It, I wonder how much it sells for now. I'm curious. It was it sold for a lot at one point though. I know that. Um, oh, my phone is buzzing. Hold on. Uh, so yeah, and um, uh, and Mitsuda in the late or mid to late 2000s was kind of um, asked to do a bunch of arrangements. And so you see him uh, on arrangements on, on arrange, arranged albums for some Capcom games too. And so he did an arrangement of a track from Rockman Dash. So this is called The Place Where Wishes Come True from Rockman Dash 2, composed by Fumi Oto. And this is arranged by Yasunori Mitsuda and with lyrics and vocals by Fumi Oto. Um, this whole album has lyrics to like a lot of lyrics going on here and it's very interesting so um here we go this is uh the place where wishes come true
It's the place where wishes come true from Rockman Dash 2, composed by Fumi Oto, arranged by Yasunori Mitsuda, with lyrics and vocals by Fumi Oto. So, yeah, it's really interesting. I think a lot of the lyrics and vocals on the arranged album are all performed and written by the original composers, and then they're arranged by other composers in the uh, in video games. Um, I I was a big fan of this. Like it very it very much sounded like what would have been like an old nineties anime. Yeah, yeah, but kind of, but but with like a kind of a really like a dream pop song with a whole lot of like echo and reverb on the guitar and on the vocals. Um, I, I I thought of you when I found this song because it sounds like something that you'd be into, like a nice happy like chill song with female vocals in it. You chose correctly, then, <laughs> sir, because I was pleased with this. Right, for more information on the bonus round, go to rhythmandpixels.com. We'll have links to the SoundClouds and Bandcamps and everywhere you can find this music, buy this music, and support the artists. All right, thanks for joining us on episode 26-1 of Rhythm and Pixels. This is our focus on the music of the composer Yasunori Mitsuda. And man, we picked music from all over, all over his catalog of games that he's, he's, he's worked on. And there's still Don't more. I- there's still a lot more that we can pick through and find, even on uh, soundtracks where he only did a handful of songs. But, but there's a lot more to get to. Yeah, that's correct. Like, um, like I had one on here that I had written on my short list, but I didn't want to pick it over the ones I had from Pop and Music 20 that he apparently did. Um, progressive Real, I think, was the genre it was considered to be a part of. So mm. it's an interesting... He has a... he. Like I said, I genuinely feel as though he may well have earned that label of being the guy where it's like, look, we, we need somebody that really knows their stuff to come out here and make the banger track for this OST. Can we just hire you to do one track? Right, so it's like... Like yeah, we need we need like one track that's awesome, that's really really awesome. You come in and do that. <laughs> can you be that guy? You be that guy. You for us. bet I can. <laughs> Someone um, yeah. so powerful. Yeah, I'm. I really enjoy. It. We haven't done a composer focus in a while, and and um, and this was a good one to, to start with. Um, and is this coming out? This is our first. This is our first podcast of the year. No, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it'll be the one. It'll be like pretty much New Year's Eve when it releases, or the day before. Wow, this is the last podcast of 2020. That's right. That's amazing. Feels weird, doesn't it? That's amazing. Feels we made it. <laughs> um, if you're listening to this far at the end of this week, this will be Saturday, January 2nd. We are having our our our, our Patreon live streamed episode um, for for december but it's gonna be in january so but to so, be honest all yeah. things considered we may have to pick our own tracks but we'll see how it plays out leading up to it but i feel like we had two different topics that got mentioned at the beginning of december end of november and it was between like winter and food based tracks <laughs> something like that but i think we're gonna do uh it's gonna be 2020 so um it's uh january 2nd saturday at 2.30 p.m. That's uh, Eastern Time, Eastern American Time. Um, and it's going to be music for 2020, whether it's all the good, all, it's all the bad, it's the horrible, the absolute horrible, everything of 2020. But do we have time for the change now, though? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if anyone really picked up on what we had chosen before because we just mentioned it on the show. I didn't put it anywhere else. 
That is true. So hopefully, if you throw it out there, people have some time they can throw it out. I like the topic idea, yeah. honestly. So let's kinda, see what happens. Anything open ended is the best, you know. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll make sure that's all. It's all getting posted right now on Patreon and on Facebook and all those other places. Now on Discord, I'll put it up on Discord uh, before we get out of here too. Um, but yeah, and so that's next week, and then all of January, almost all of January, every week we have guests coming on our show. Um, so that you get a lot to look forward to. We have a big, we have a big quiz show. Um, we have a really special crossover episode with another podcast and we have a, we have an old friend that might be coming by. <laughs> so, and then we might have another friend to wish us all luck. <laughs> That's like a old like theme. I always felt funny. He might stop by to wish luck. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's all coming up. So, and if you want to get in contact with us, if you have a track suggestion or a topic suggestion, just send us an email. Rhythm and Pixels at Hotmail.com. Uh, for more full track listing of our show, of every episode, and access to all of our episodes, go to the website. Rhythm and Pixels.com. Um, you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. It's Rhythm and Pixels, all one word. You can just search for us there. We have a little uh, group in Facebook called Rhythm and Pixels Chat. You can just look that up. Uh, YouTube.com slash Rhythm and Pixels. All of our episodes are uploaded there as well. And we have a, a 24-7 uh, live radio station there playing nothing but 8-bit and 16-bit classics. I'll be probably updating that this coming week with some more music and with some new like visuals and, and video and stuff that will play along with the music. Um, so, yeah, that's all. It's not just random tracks. It's playing randomly for sure, but it's got all sorts of like it's all picked by it's curated it's all curated so it's it's good stuff to listen to while you're at home while you're cooking or while you're doing homework or doing whatever so that's that's really cool um and if you want to support the show all you got to do is tell people about it that's it's always helpful or you can go to patreon.com slash rhythm and pixels and um if you support us there you get access to a prequel episode every week and once a month a live streamed episode um, you also, um, at the higher uh, levels, you can get uh, special um, perks for the radio station where you can either um, have us, you can write out your own promo, or if you want to give a shout out, or if you want to advertise something, you can put it in rotation on the radio station, or we can read it for you, or you can even read it yourself. Um, and we also like to thank all of our Patreon members at the end of every episode. Uh, Frankly Zappa, That Nick Walker, Mike Myers, Ed Wilson of the VG Embassy, Matt's Holmkvist, Michael Jennings, Davey Cakes, Justin Schneider from XVGM Radio, Sonic Medley, Taco, Harold Howard, Dave Taylor, Reinhardt Selkova, which you mentioned uh, helped, uh, suggested this episode, right? Yes, he did. He was the suggester of the topic. Well, thank you. Uh, Andreas Milberg, Dan Loughton, Sleepy S'more, Steve Miller, The Autistic Gamer 89, Cameron Worma, Christopher Centrum, Bobby Arson from 1UP Funk, Wicked Sephiroth, Carlos, Kung Fu Carlito from the Heroes 3 podcast, Michael Bridgewater from the Forever Sound version VGM podcast, and Brian Pitt. So just uh, all of you, thank you so much for supporting our show throughout this whole year. It's always been appreciated. Always appreciated. And um, I'm looking forward to um, seeing a lot of you on our next live stream episode, which will be next week. I'm looking forward to doing crossover episodes with a lot of our uh, Patreon members in the coming year. It's going to be great. And remember, if there's ever something that you find yourself thinking, man, it'd be awesome if these guys did that, feel free to let us know. Let Use it. the email, hit us up on the Discord or whatever. Just be like, hey, here's a suggestion. We might not do it, but we might do it. So yeah. you never know. We, and prob- it also we helps probably will do it. <laughs> we probably yeah, pretty will. Pretty much. 
Um, yeah, because we have a list of topics and things that we're trying to get to. But um, if there's a listener, or if you're out there and you're like, you know, what, I'd rather them try something different or do this, we're probably will just do it and have a good time because that's what we do. We have good times. This is correct. It's even the times that aren't good, especially that. Especially those times. <laughs> um, anyway, so thanks for listening to the show. Um, I don't think I got anything else. So thanks for listening. My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm Pernell. Have a great week. And remember, I guess if you're listening to this at the time the episode releases, New Year's will be very much upon us. And it will be that time where everyone sits down and they tabulate all their successes and their failures. And they decide to come up with a list of 2021 goals and aspirations. And who knows, maybe I'll even do that this year, but I'm contemplating not. But regardless of whether you do or you don't, the thing that's most important to know and understand is that as a person, we grow constantly, constantly. It doesn't stop. And though it's good to make goals, you're not necessarily beholden to having goals at the turn of the new year. It's just a human construct. It's just another day, another year, which we use to gauge or balance out events. You could have goals set in January or March or July. Just a matter of when you come up with something you want to do, make an effort to try to do it. Set a goal for whenever you want to set the goal. And it has a start. You can choose your own start date and end date. The goal is just to have goals when you're ready to fulfill them. Don't let yourself get beaten up for not having a goal met as of January 2nd or whatever. Because it doesn't matter. It's just about what makes when it's right for you to have the goal in mind. And when you feel comfortable attempting to accomplish it but at the same time there's also nothing wrong with making the goal for new years if that's what you want to do just saying you're not required to you don't have to do it other than that have good beverages be festive be free be safe wear a mask and uh soda <laughs> dr pepper cream soda i'm drinking it you should too it's just bang Mm-hmm. <laughs>